Just by way of reminder, when we first started these Sunday nights, we did it as an evangelistic outreach. And my uh, desire was to describe grace through story. And I think sometimes we forget, when we go back to when we were first uh, learning about God, uh, it was the stories of the Bible, the accounts, the records of real people and some of the things they went through that really touched us. And then as we started diving deeper, we found out more of the mechanics of how those things happened. And what I wanted to do was I wanted to go through the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 11, and I wanted to pick out eight individuals, eight very diverse individuals, people who were called in very different manners. Some while still in the womb and, and some later on in life. And I wanted to look at their lives and I wanted to see some of their uh, calls and look how different they were. And I wanted to look at some of their walks. Some of them fell apart in the beginning of their life, some in the middle of their life, and some at the end of their life. And the reason why I wanted to do this is, first of all, to show that we can't fit God in a box. And the other thing is, is uh, there's only one scheme of salvation that would get all these people to glory, and that's the salvation by grace. So we've done four entries thus far. We've done Gideon, Jephthah, Samson, and Jacob. And today will be our fifth installment, and I want to do a female this time. I want to do Rahab the harlot. So um, if you have your Bibles, let's go to Hebrews 11. Let's read that account very quickly. I think I forgot to put this in the, the overhead, but I want to go there to show that this person that we're going to be reading about is certainly indeed is in Hebrews 11, and we can find her. Uh, I'd like to read verse 30 and 31. Hebrews 11, 30 and 31. It says, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. So there's a, a woman that went to great risk, risked her life, risked her countrymen, based on stories. Now, we looked at some of the other characters, like Jacob, where God spoke directly to him. God didn't speak directly to Rahab. She just heard stories. And the stories were enough to risk her family. How would God possibly work in a person that through story, stories, accounts, that she would move in a situation to risk her life and her family's life. So that's what I would like to do is when we look at it from that perspective. If you have your Bibles, the account starts in Joshua chapter 2. And let's start reading the account of Rahab. Rahab. Joshua 2, starting at verse 1. And Joshua the son of Nun sent out of Shittim, two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into a harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither to night of the children of Israel to search out the country. 
And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they be come to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men and hid them, and said thus, There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. What would possibly inspire this woman to take into Israelites to hide them, to lie to the soldiers, and then send the soldiers in a completely opposite direction? See, these stories, these reports of the God of Israel that separated the Red Sea and helped them conquer the Egyptians, the whole city heard these reports. But as far as I can tell, only one person acted on the reports. What about this woman? Now, we've gone back and we've looked at some of these other characters in the Bible. We've looked at Samton, who was raised by some good Jewish parents that raised him up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We saw Jacob that had the pedigree of Abraham and Isaac and then Jacob. And we see these prominent men. And here is a harlot, a prostitute. What about this prostitute? How, how did she move? And no one else in the city was moved by these reports. Let's keep on reading. I'm still in Joshua 2. I'm continuing on at verse 5. And it came to pass about the time of the shutting of the gate, when it was dark, she's still giving the lie report until the, the guards, that the men went out, whether the men went, I what not, pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof of the house and hid them uh, with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. And the men pursued after them the way to Jordan unto the fords. And as soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. Verse 8. And before they were laid down, she came up to them upon the roof, and she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. See, what she's telling them right now is everybody's heard these reports and we're scared. But she acted and they didn't. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what ye did unto the kings of the Amorites. And they were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. What caused her to receive these in such a way where she had this incredible faith to realize we are done? Now the other people thought, we're scared. We can't stand up to this God. But they fought tooth and nail. They said, I'm going to trust in this wall. She knew no wall could... Stop this God. How did she know that? Okay, I'm going to skip forward in chapter 2. I'm going to go all the way down to 23. I'm just doing this to save time because I want to get the whole count of Rahab's life. Chapter 2 and verse 23. So the two men returned and descended from the mountain and passed over and came to Joshua the son of Nun and told him all the things that befell them. 
And they said unto Joshua, Truly the Lord hath delivered into our hands all the land, for all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. So the report comes back to Joshua, and they have this account. Joshua asked them, you know, what happened, and, and, and they gave the whole account to Rahab. They share the promises that they made. So let's go now to chapter 3. Okay. And I am skipping some verses. I would encourage you to read all these chapters from 2 all the way to 7. This is what we're going to cover today. So I'm in Joshua 3 now, and I'm jumping to verse 5. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spake unto the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass over before the people. And they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all of Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. And thou shalt command the priests that bear the ark of the covenant, saying, When ye are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, ye shall stand still in the Jordan. I'm going to jump to verse 15. And as they that bear the ark had come to the Jordan, the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water, and the Jordan overflowed with all its banks because, because it was the time of harvest. So when they passed through the Jordan, not only did they have to pass through this river, they had to pass through it during the rainy season. The water was high. Verse 16, that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up and heap very far from the city of Adam, that is beside Zeratan. And those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea failed and were cut off. And the people passed over right against Jericho. And the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan, and all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. Okay, so let's think about this for a second. So here's the harlot. She makes a deal with the spies. And the only reason she makes the deal with the spies, she's got the report of this powerful God and what this powerful God has done for Israel in the past. And based on this, she says, I'm going to give you safe passage. She hides the spies, risks her life, sends them out another way. They escape, and now they come over Jericho, and they're going to walk through on dry ground. And they do. So what's, now this is all speculation. I'm going to speculation now. What's this Rahab thinking? And she, if they see the water pile up and they get the reports, and all of a sudden they realize that there's these million Israelites, and they were on the east side of the Jordan and now they're on the west side and they passed over the Jordan during the rainy season. You think they're a little bit scared right now? Yeah, I think they're scared. Do you think Rahab's saying, I did the right thing? I think so. Okay, I, I want to I do some reasoning with you at the end. I just want to lay down the accounts. It's, it's just amazing. Okay, to me anyway. Okay, so now I'm in Joshua 4. I know I'm really picking and choosing because I'm just trying to get the groundwork of what happened in this, this series of events. Now I'm in Joshua 4. So they go through the water and they walk through and God sets up this monument. So let's start in Joshua 4 verse 6. That this may be a sign among you that your children ask their fathers in the time to come saying, what ye mean by these stones? So what happened was is when they went through the Jordan, <clears throat> God gave some specific instructions. And he says, once you go through, I want every man from every, one man from every tribe to pick up a rock. 
And you take that rock, and when you get on the other side, I want you to stack them up in this pile of 12 rocks. <clears throat> and the reason why I want this pile of 12 rocks is so that one day when you're walking along and you got your grandson in hand and you walk by and you see this pile of rocks and your grandson says, Grandpa, what's that pile of rocks for? You can say, let me tell you what this thing is all about. Okay? God is all about these memorials. <coughs> so your, 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 your child says, what mean by these stones? Verse 7. Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan shall cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it pass over the Jordan that the waters were cut off, and these stones shall be a memorial unto the children for, of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so as the Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones out of the midst of the Jordan, as the Lord spake unto Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with, the, with them unto the place where they lodged, and laid them down there. And they set up this memorial. Verse 9, and Joshua set up the twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests which the bear the Ark of the Covenant stood, and there are, they are there to this day. Okay? So now I want to go to chapter 5. This is when they actually take the city. They take the city. He said, I thought this was about Rahab. It is. Okay? Great. Now, what's Rahab doing? She's in her apartment on the wall. Right? Step by step, God's plan is unfurling. She's sitting there watching. She's getting the reports of what's happening. She's quietly in the house. She's waiting for the, the siege, right? Chapter 5 and verse 1. And it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of the Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel, until we were passed over, <coughs> that their heart melted, neither was there any spirit in them any more because of the children of Israel. At that time, the Lord said unto Joshua, Make these sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. So what happens is, is they come through and there's this great miracle. The water is stood up and they walk through the Jordan and they're getting on this side of Jericho. And what do they do? They reinstitute circumcision and the Passover. Hmm. Circumcision and the Passover. If I was going to go into a battle and take on a city, do you think I would circumcise all the male folks in the army? No. But that's what God had him do. And then would I have him eat nothing but unleavened bread for seven days for their strength? No. That's not what I would do. But God gives the instruction, and Israel does it. Hmm. Okay. So we're going to go forward into ch chapter 5 and verse 10. And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month, even at the plains of Jericho. And they did eat old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes, parched corn in the selfsame day. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn. Neither the children of Israel had manna anymore, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. So now we go to chapter 6. Chapter 6. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into you hand the Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty of the valor, and ye shall compass the city, all the men of the war, and go round the city once 
do this six days, and the seven priests shall bear before the arks. And I'm going to just paraphrase this, but basically it says, I want you to march around there with the whole nation Israel and do that once a day for six days, and on the seventh day, do it seven times. That was, to- that was a total of 13 trips around the city. So they do around the city 13 times. I'm in Joshua 6, verse 12, and Joshua rose early in the morning and took the priests of the ark and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets and the ram's horn before the ark. And the Lord went continually and they blew the trumpets and the armed men went before them. But the rear reward came up after the ark. They did this on the second day. Verse 15 talks about the seventh day. And it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose up early about the dawning of the day encompassed the city after the same manner seven times. Only on that day they tempest the city seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time when the priests blew the trumpets that Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city. What do you think Rahab's feeling right now? You think she's thinking she did the right thing? I think probably so. Okay. We go to chapter, chapter 6, verse 21. And the walls came tumbling down, and in verse 21 says, They utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and ass, and at the edge of the sword. But Joshua had said unto the two men that spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and bring out thence the woman and all that she hath, as ye swear unto her. And the young men that were the spies went in and brought out Rahab, and her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had, and they brought out her, her kindred, and left them without the camp of Israel. And then they burnt the city and they destroyed it. But they saved Harlot of the Harlot alive. Okay. <clears throat> In order to dive into Rahab very deeply, I would have to do a lot of speculation. That's basically about all we know of her. All I know is God did not speak to her directly. She heard reports. It was enough to do what everybody feared, but she acted on it. No one else did. But this is what I want to challenge you. This is what absolutely blew my mind about this. Think about it. You're Rahab. You've just risked it. I mean, there's parts of this story I just don't understand. How can Rahab be a prostitute and in the house, she's doing her prostituting business. Shows you how naive I am with the language. But she's doing this business. And in that house, there's mom and her dad and her siblings. What kind of society could it be that mom and dad would live with the daughter that's running this business? I, don't know. I just can't comprehend any of it. But this woman that's living in this horrid pagan lifestyle has got enough sense to say, that's a God too powerful for us, and I'm going to submit to him. Okay, This is what I want you to see, okay? Think about it this way. I want you to think, you're Rahab, and you're thinking, did I do the right thing? Okay. We are going to see Israel pass through the Jordan. Now, this is what Israel does. When they pass through the Jordan, you know what they do? They go to God and they say, God, what do you want me to do? And he tells them. And then they rise up early and they do it. And after they get through the, 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 with the victory over the Red Sea, they worship. 
And then you come to the next trial. The next trial is the city of Jericho. And what happens? They go to God and they say, God, how do you want me to do it? And he tells them. And then they rise up early in the morning and they do exactly what he says. And they bring everybody. And then they get the great victory. And guess what happens after Jericho? They forget to give thanks and they forget to worship. Then they go to the third trial. Now Rahab's with them and they say, we're going after Ai. They don't ask God what to do. They follow man's instructions, not God. They don't bring everybody and they get whipped. So they go to tackle Ai again. And this time, when they tackle Ai the second time, they go to God and said, how shall we do it? They rise early and they do exactly what God says and they bring everybody and after that, they worship God. Okay? That's a lesson for us. They forgot after those two fantastic miracles of going through the Jordan and having it all pile up and go through the dry land and just shouting on a double wall that was impenetrable by so many enemies and it comes tumbling down. And they forget to just say thank you. you go, I got this one. A, I got this one. And they get whipped. You're Rahab now. You think it's Rahab. I just risked my life for a God that can do all this. And I see God deliver them through the Jordan during the rainy season. I see them conquering Jericho. And then they take on this no-account city Ai and they get whipped. What do, you, do you think, did I do the right thing? Is this God really as powerful as it not, is, is I think he is? And then what happens? They go to Ai the second time. And this time they do it right. They get God's instruction. They rise up early. They do exactly what he says. They bring everybody and after the victory, they give God glory and they thank him. And Rahab sees that. And you know what happens? She joins herself to the nation Israel so that she becomes an intricate part of Israel and she's found in the lineage of Jesus Christ. She hung on. Okay, what's the lesson for us? Do you think there's New Testament churches that do great things every once in a while, but every once in a while they just blow it. Amen? And then they get their act. What happened, God? It's a wake-up call. What do we do wrong? Uh-oh, we got into man's plan and not God's plan. God, how would you like? And they get back on track, and she said, I'm trusting in the Lord, not in man. To me, this is another testimony, testament of faith of this woman, after seeing this terrible loss, this defeat, she sticks with them. And when this nation follows the God of heaven, 
She's going to, that's what I see. That's what I can take the bank from this lesson of Rahab. So let's look at this real quick. I'll go through this real quick. They crossed the Jordan. And here's all the verses in case you want to look these up. In 3.1 it says they rose early in the morning and began executing God's plan. In 3, 7, and 8, God instructed Joshua with great details how to pass over, and they followed it to the letter. In 4, 11, all Israel participated in crossing. And in 5, 2 through 11, Israel worshiped and reinstituted circumcision in the Passover after this great victory. It's a pretty good pattern for us. The victory over Jericho. Joshua sought God's advice. He got, God told him exactly what to do. That's 514 and 612. Joshua rose early and implemented God's plan. 620, all of Israel participated in the battle. But guess what? I could find no mention of any worship or thanksgiving. It's gone. It's just not there. The defeat at Ai. Joshua sought man's advice. Joshua did not bring all Israel to the battle. There was no mention of rising early when executing man's battle plan. We got this one. This is a piece of cake. And then 7-6, Joshua and his elders fell on their face after the defeat and said, where did we go wrong? The victory over Ai, Joshua rose early and began to pursue to purge Israel of the sin. In chapter 8, 1 through 7, God instructed Joshua with great details of how to wage the war. In 8, 10, and 11, Joshua rose early and began to implement it. And guess what? He brought all of Israel this time. And then finally, 8 and 30, Joshua worshiped the Lord with sacrifice. My friends, that's the battle plan. God, how do we do this? God, we're going to bring everybody God, we're going to rise up early and we're going to tackle this thing. And when it's all said and done, we're going to give you all the glory. And that's the way we're going to proceed. And I think that's what Rahab saw because we see her become. Remember when they were brought out, it says they were outside the city. They were, I'm saying they were outside the camp. When Rahab came back, she and her family were free. They were alive. They were free to go wherever they want. And they were outside the camp. And this next couple of verses show that they became part of the camp. Despite Israel's ups and downs, Rahab joined the church. In Ruth 4, 18 through 22, this is paraphrased. Pharaoh begat Hezron, which begat Ram, which begat Amen Adab, which begat Nashon, which begat Salmon, which begat Boaz, which begat Obed, which begat Jesse, which begat David. There's a whole lot of begats there, but the Boaz is the one I want you to key in on, right? In Matthew 1, 5 through 6, the lineage, it says Salmon, that's the one Rahab married, begat Obed of Ruth, which begat Jesse, which begat David the king, which begat Solomon of the wife of Uriah. So she became in the lineage of David, which was in the lineage of Jesus Christ. She became part of Israel. She joined the church. What about this pagan? What about this former prostitute? What about this woman gave her the desire to buck her countrymen, 
gave her the desire to become of a church, part of a church that failed once, but was used mightily of God not only to deliver the spies, two spies, but was also used to generate the lineage of Jesus Christ. That's Rahab. So, so far when I go through scripture, and, and, and we've looked at four biographies thus far, Rahab being the fifth, you remember how we drew those lines of relationships with God? We had different one. We had Jephthah. We had Gideon. We had Samson. Probably pretty. We had Jacob. And then we have Rahab. Think of her start. Think of her background. Think of her lack of hearing preaching. But God used her in a mighty way, and she acted in a very brave and courageous way. And we see her in the lineage. You know, God, when I look at Hebrews 11, and I'm looking at this cast of characters in Hebrews 11, he picked ordinary people with diverse backgrounds, with all kinds of strengths and all kinds of weaknesses, and these were the men he uses to set up the kingdom. And you know what? That that encourages me. I'm looking at every person in here. He can use each of us to promote his kingdom. And we think, oh, I'm just a, I'm just a nobody. What do you think Rahab was? What do you think Jephthah was? Just a nobody. The son of a prostitute. Illegitimate. He was a bastard. Now, bastard's not a swear word. It's a legal term without a father. That's what that means. That's what he was. God used him in a mighty way. And then I see Rahab as being used this way. So, with that being said, I do believe God will put things on our mind, and sometimes those things will be countercultural. But I'm so thankful that you and I have something that Rahab didn't. We got this little library of 66 books called the Bible. And sometimes this thing will be countercultural. And sometimes we'll be asked in a way to promote the kingdom of Kevin, which could be risky. You think, ah, that'll never happen in America. Well, it's happening in other places in the country right now. And one day I can see it might happen here. I hope it doesn't. But I see it again. I pray we can have the faith of Rahab and walk in a way that'll glorify Lord. May the Lord bless you. Thank you.